Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. Bipolar Game Changer, Bipolar, and Positive Psychology. And when I say positive psychology, I don't mean that I have a psychology degree or a degree in positive psychology. I'm saying that we can use some of the frameworks of positive psychology and positivity in general in order to um, look at bipolar in a different way and welcome listener and last week I don't remember what I talked about exactly and that's one of my favorite things about bipolar is forgetting and that's because when I forget I can just start fresh and start new and that way I don't really know what's going to come up exactly and I find as time goes on I'm forgetting more but I'm also exploring more at the same time and so with positive psychology um, or positivity it's about putting um, some positive lenses on bipolar and also positive biases. So I don't know if you've ever looked at some of the cognitive biases that are out there, but there's a big list, big, big list of cognitive biases. And I read through all of them that were there and I could find a lot of different ones that seem to change when I shift from um, like regular state to mania and then even to psychosis. So by looking at that, it's um, it's kind of fun to see how things change and how information processing changes. And then um, different experience can arise as a result. And um, I wrote a list of some of the things that I think that I acquired as traits, or maybe not as traits all the time, but as at least possible states. Um, that I can experience or um, um, have because of having this uh, diagnosis or this transformational crisis that was called bipolar disorder. And I'm trying to um, kind of warp it into something else by looking at it in a positive light or looking at the positives that have come out of it. And part of the reason for this is um, in my experience, I feel that when I do that, then more of the positive possibility, possibilities are able to manifest. If I continue to look at it negatively, uh, that's going to bring about more of the negative things manifesting. 
And it's sort of an experiment because I don't want to look at some aspect positively and then just make it some solid belief that that's positive. Um, I want to be able to stay fluid and continue to learn and put new combinations of things together and, and see how that works. Um, and I don't know if I'm really doing that consciously. It's more um, an awareness in the moment. So a few things I feel that I have access to is like creativity. I think a lot of us can agree on that one. And um, I think I can perceive a lot better as well as I'm more spontaneous at times. Sometimes I'm not still, that's for sure. And um, I see more possibilities and I can think outside the box. Um, I see a lot of meaning out there. I can kind of read between the lines of um, events or even in books. I can have an insight into like the whole workings of something in a flash. Um, I can get lots of ideas at times. Sometimes I can be really generous um, or a lot more kind. There's times when I'm not more kind too, that's for sure. But the positive end of the kindness spectrum has increased. And um, I'm more innovative. I can manifest things sometimes. Um, I have a lot more wonder, curiosity. I have the ability to play with language and relanguage things. Um, also make up new words and I find that fun it's like a hobby for me and I can see beauty a lot easier like in nature like even just a leaf flapping in the wind catching the light a certain way can really um, strike me and almost just make me disappear as I observe that and there's a lot of things that happen that seem like magic because they're, they seem to push the laws of reality as I, might, I, as I might normally experience it. At first, this felt really exciting and um, energizing, but now for me, it's sort of like, well, that's part of my reality, so it doesn't really um, have that same effect, but I still can appreciate the beauty of it. Um, I, w I would say I've experienced things that seem like miracles. Um, I can perceive wholeness and oneness. Um, I can integrate things. Um, I can question things. I can have a dialogue with almost anything. Sometimes I can be very childlike, um, comedic, and um, I'm sometimes very silly. Um, I think I've always been like that, though. And... I think through the experiences I've gotten um, sort of a best self blueprint of, of what I can possibly be. Um, right now it's in certain moments or at certain times, but I do feel a lot of these characteristics, if they came about in my first mania or in um, subsequent episodes of mania, a lot of them I have been able to bring into my daily life where I don't anymore need to be manic for these to um, manifest and for me that makes it like well I don't have to go into mania if I do I might discover some more but after probably uh, 10 iterations of like a major hypermania um, I've had the experience where I feel like okay I think I've gotten most of what I need from this um, it's about really 
um, integrating those into daily life, not um, craving those states. Um, and so I can also be quite visionary. Sometimes I feel like I experience remote viewing. Of course, with miracles and magic goes um, synchronicity. And um, again, it seemed like magic before, but to me, some of these things like a synchronicity or a few days of a lot of synchronicities, that's just something that happens for me. It doesn't really feel like a miracle or magic. It feels like part of reality, part of what is possible. And um, sometimes being altruistic, um, I'm very observant and um, good at listening sometimes. Um, I feel like I'm pretty trustworthy as well because a lot of the experiences when they happen, um, they feel like tests or um, being tested or passing a test or passing a level, kind of like a game, right? And trying to see if if one is trustworthy to the universe, you know, or to this other aspect of reality that's trying to come in and say, hey, if you're going to have access to more of reality, I need to see if I can trust you. And so um, I feel quite trustworthy. And I also now I trust myself where along the way in the process, I didn't always trust myself. I felt like if I went into psychosis, I was afraid of myself. And I can still go into psychosis and be afraid, but I'm not afraid of myself. I'm not afraid of being afraid. I'm not afraid of the fear. Um, I'm not afraid of doing something based on feeling super afraid because it's just fear. Like it, that's part of the test in my view is to not fall for it, fall for the fear and do what the fear uh, might tell one to do. Like um, I'm pretty open and um, articulated times, maybe not talking on Clubhouse as much. Uh, sometimes I can sense prophecy. Um, so for me, all these experiences of psychosis and getting used to being terrified for no reason, um, for no apparent reason or for reasons that are kind of being made up at the time. I'm, I'm used to fear, so the fearful times we're in are, are they feel like they the psychosis has been training for that. That's how I see it. Um, and so what's happening today, um, as unfortunate as it all is, is it isn't surprising. Because I've been surprised by scarier things that aren't even happening. So um, it was training, like I said. And also, I'm pretty good at understanding things. And I feel like I'm a bit of a nature mystic. That's like being in communication with nature and everything. And I'm very resourceful. And I think sometimes there's sort of quantum aspects to my consciousness. And I'm using that loosely, not in like a very super scientific way. People like to put quantum onto everything. And, and kind of so do I. <laughs> it's a cool word. And uh, lateral thinking, different types of thinking. Also, you know, sometimes I have superhuman strength. Most of the time, I don't have very much strength, though. Um, but I have, like I said, I've lost my um, memory. But I've been re researching lately, and I don't really think the brain is designed to store that much memory, especially the amount that we try to, um, especially, and especially now that we have better storage devices. 
so that was just my bit on some of the traits that I've noticed for myself that are positive. Um, and again, it varies to what extent, which ones are available at which times, but these are things that I can draw on where before I didn't have, I didn't have those. So that's a lot to me that, um, has become available. And so I wouldn't trade that. And most of the literature out there is about what's bad and resisting what's bad or unpleasant or uncomfortable um, or um, like trying to make it go away, trying to make it stop, resisting it, talking about how unpleasant it is. And I'm not denying that that is true. Um, with the positivity, it's, it's trying to slowly move the needle towards giving equal attention to some of the positive things. Um, and maybe we do in our own lives, but a lot of times when we get together and talk, um, we talk about the negatives and wanting them to go away. And so um, to me, I've tried to go into a lot of it with curiosity and wonder. And by that, I've been able to um, find a lot of positives. And I think if I wouldn't have gone into it like that, then I wouldn't have necessarily found these positives and created a huge buffer in my own mind of, you know, and I say positive loosely, not like, um, oh, I like this so much and I need to have this and seek this and um, sort of the like and dislike dichotomy. Just It's about, okay, these are some of the things that are coming through that are largely being ignored because the negative side is is hard um, and we get a lot of attention from the negative side but we don't give attention to the positive um, at least in conversation and um, I think it's possible the more that we do that um, we can put the negative stuff into um, a more balanced place so I'm not sure if anyone um, has anything to say and add and share and if you do, um, I don't know how to let you talk, but I will figure it out. You might be able to put up your hand or... Wait, I see something. Oh. That's not good. Someone said, I can't hear anything. So maybe I've just been talking to air. And that's fine too. Well, it's not fine for someone who might be trying to listen. Okay, trying to get back here. Okay. 
Sandsäle. So I did an invite to speak and we'll see if that works. So hopefully this is working. So until anyone else wants to talk, I will find something else to talk about. There's a lot to go into with the positives. And like I mentioned, going into some of the traits that one might not otherwise have without it um, is a cool thing. And the other thing to consider is that it was said in a TED talk that the odds of being born are one in 400 trillion. It's pretty crazy, right? And a quote came to my mind the other day that I made up and it's, um, life is the opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> and I thought it was funny because it almost is pointless to say that, but at the same time, life is the opportunity to have a lifetime and, and what can we do with it? And it, it makes me sad that so much of human potential is, is never actualized uh, because of who knows what. It's easy to go into all the different reasons and I just wonder why we've de de uh, designed life this way. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot about mania and what it's trying to tell us. To me, it's kind of like being a canary in the coal mine. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, life is so amazing. Life is so great. And going around and almost thinking that other people see it too. And then realizes that others don't see it. Um, and then it becomes a bit of a, a buzzkill. It's like there's this energy to go around being really happy to be alive and talking to people and being an extrovert, even if one's an introvert, and uh, making conversation and talking and and having new perceptions and trying to share those. And then each experience is like a slap on the face or something because others don't see it. And then sometimes people seem to see it too, and that can be some fuel to keep going. But it, eventually the fire fizzles out um, and all the resources in the body or wherever are used up. And then we need to go and rest until that wave comes again. So it's a different, to me, it's a different biorhythm of life that has a different, it has a different purpose. It has a different potential. It has different possibilities. And as it is now, the main possibility is to become a mental patient and end up on that treadmill. And it's very hard to get off that treadmill once one is on it. And 
seems that it's the best we have at this moment. You know, I, I use best very lightly. Um, and in my experience, one can be a mental patient and one can also decide for oneself what is what is going to be one's life. And um, that's the stance that I take, mainly because I'm still taking the medications, yet I feel like through my experiences and processing them, I've been able to harness and harvest some of the positives, at least linguistically. I haven't fully um, translated a lot of it into manifestation, but, um, you know, in terms of writing it out and maybe having it in my, my brain and my being, but not yet having the energy to fully live these things out. Um, and that's okay. It's, um, it's part of the process, I think, is going through the linguistics of it, um, going through the experiences and processing them however is best for each person. Mine is uh, writing and kind of talking through it. Other people could be art. There's different ways to do it. And, um, yeah, through that, through that process, being able to eventually uh, create a new level of who I am. So right now, maybe I'm an author or a writer. Um, I don't think I'm a writer, like I'm not a professional writer, but I'm, I'm writing these things out. Um, and I'm hoping to catch up to the point where I feel like I've processed enough of this linguistically on paper through um, processing on the computer and all that. And um, I feel like I've done all I can do with that. And then any that I do is just about what's happening in the moment in real time and not going back way further to look at um, old information. And the reason I say that is because for the 10 years or so, I have been doing a lot of writing. So a lot of it is going back to see, well, what have I written and how can I make that into something that is more shareable because I don't know how many of us have notebooks and notebooks or um, notes in our phone or wherever full of things that have come to us or through us or, in, or into our awareness in these experiences. And then it all stays private. It all, it all kind of gets lost in a way. Um, so I feel that what a lot of that we come to in our experiences, we can kind of sort through and sift through and, and find some of it that's coherent. And there could be ways, even if we can't use our own human discernment to do that, we could be, um, there could be ways to do that in the future as well. Because I feel that the awareness of some of these types of experiences that are possible for any human being really is... Um, it's lost or hidden or oppressed. Um, there are other cultures that have wisdom traditions or different spaces for things like this and different understandings. So it's not seen as something scary. Um, even though it could be scary, it seems something that um, is relatively, um, I'll just use the word normal, 
So, um, so yeah, we don't have that. And I feel that part, part of the possibility of making it not so scary, um, for people who will experience it in the future, who've never experienced it is to, um, publish some of what we've come to, um, either individually or together co-creatively and, um, or also just have one's stuff kind of ready to be processed in some way because um, the main way that I like to uh, put the scary part into its place or is to crowd it out, right? So if there's, say there's a book on bipolar disorder as a mental illness and it's, um, you know, 30 pages long or, you know, maybe just 10 pages long and it gives me all I need to know, like all the different means that I've been given by the system in general, like to me, not what they study. And then I just like memorize that and put it in my heart and mind and brain and body. And I live defending that or resisting my experiences based on that. Well, that's one thing. Now, if I write out all my experiences and like write out what I wrote in those experiences or after, shortly after, and then read back and look at them and expand upon them and build my understanding and build bridges to other types of things, like, for example, positive psychology as one bridge. There are other things, right? There's human potential. There's flow states. There's so many different things. There's shamanic stuff. And, you know, there has been some bridges built for sure towards spirituality or shamanism in, in different films and documentaries and everything. And there are movements that are, are doing this, but it, there's also, we can do it for ourselves with our own unique content. Um, because then what happens is say I write out, say I write out 500 pages now of my own making sense and references to like, Oh, I saw this YouTube video and they were saying this and that just sounded right. Like my experiences but they weren't talking about bipolar at all. They were talking about um, flow or they were talking about um, extraordinary states of consciousness. Now I can say, well, that sounds kind of like that. Let me explore that and see how much of my stuff overlaps with that. Um, and maybe I just get that one point, but now I have a bridge to something else and I can see, okay, um, people who are or neurotypical or normal, they might go and take a course on how to get into flow. And then when I read this stuff about flow or watch this video about flow, I see that 90% of what they said I experience in mania. And it's just that I don't really have the same control and I'm not taking a course to try to get into that state. I'm thrown into that state without any choice yet it's the same state. So the only difference is how it, it occurs. And, it, and so for in this example, if it's flow, I don't put myself into flow. Something puts me into flow. And because I don't understand flow and because it's probably um, super hyper flow and not just a little bit of a spark of flow that is initiated by some um, tool or technique from the normal state of consciousness, uh, you know, like listening to classical music while hanging upside down and, you know, all these different things are who, who knows, everyone has different 
flow triggers, as they say, or there are different ones. Um, so the, the process is the same, it's just how it happens is the same. And then when you listen to the video and they say, well, these are the neurochemicals that are involved in flow, and then they're all the ones that we make inside our body, <laughs> then we can see how it's possible that certain neurochemicals could happen in our body that put us into flow without our choice, without our, our triggering it. Like there could be uh, different things that would put us into a hyperflow. I'm not saying it's the exact same thing because with flow, if you, it's it can come to an end and it's not super out of control and it's probably contained to like flow in work or flow in sports or flow within um, a, do a small domain of life. It's not like going into a flow state and like doing some work on the computer and then now going outside and being in flow while you're driving and then, you know, going to the park and being in flow and talking to people while you're walking. It's um, like we're kind of stuck in a flow, a, um, a flow state. Uh, I call it overflow because um, when it's overflow, it's very hard to um, control and we don't, we don't actually have the physiology to maintain that um, for a long period of time. And so then we burn out and we end up um, depressed or we end up in psychosis or what have you. And we need to rest in order to build up the resources. So for me, that was um, just one example of finding that there are different human potential aspects that are there. And I feel that, like in my experience at least, by understanding them, um, not even needing to fully understand them by doing it practically, just understanding that it's a it's a hyper flow state, I can learn that hey I, I can um, harness this flow state. If it's a flow state, I can it's more creative. I can I can do something with that creativity, or maybe I can't even do something with the creativity, but I can. I can at least be creative. And then when the hyperflow is over, I can go back and look at that and see if there was anything there. And that's, um, that's harvesting the state of mania. So, so whether one wants to call it flow or somewhat like flow, a flow-like state that's non-volitional, I personally didn't put myself there. Though I guess people can, you know, um, in certain ways do that as well um, the point is that we can go back and see what was a value from that state and if there was nothing of value from mania I think that needs to be looked at for sure because there's a lot that can come through it right so also by studying human potential one can start to lean towards using mania as human potential um, more and more uh, rather than um, and this isn't meant to be like judgmental or anything but I think a lot of it goes sometimes into um, what's called like hedonistic type things you know like one can use it to augment one's um, pleasure in life and of course, there can be a mix of that, too. And there is pleasure in a lot of things. Like, when when I get super altruistic, you know, it's enjoyable to just, like, 
give money away to people on the street, you know. So I do get enjoyment out of that. Um, so I think there there can be definitely like a holistic and healthy hedonism. But for example, if if I were to go to the mall and just buy five thousand dollars worth of shoes, um, and then there's no returns. <laughs> I'm stuck with all these shoes, like for what? Um, like that's that's kind of to me part of the clue is when when the things that we're programmed to do in society, like consumerism and um, what else? Consumerism, entertainment, maybe like all those sorts of things. When those things get um, augmented only then I think it's just inflating uh, the ego and how we've been programmed. Uh, there's also, uh, like, the thing is it can't really fail in a way. It can fail but not fail because if the first time it augments super hedonistic things and we um, spend all our money, do all these things, and then um, we realize and then we learn from it, then it sort of, um, it served its purpose um, of sort of making it very obvious what our programming and our ego structures are doing and how if those get inflated 10 times, 100 times, whatever times, it, very shortly we have nothing left. Um, and then if we learn from that, you know, that's fine. And then the next time, do something a little bit different and that's part of it too is I feel that it's really meant to be for learning or it it is something that one can learn from and not just to be learning to quote manage one's illness better I don't think that that's um, the thing per se part of it is when we resist um, some of these things that can happen these states, then we're not prepared to learn from them when they do happen. And we're not going into it feeling like we can learn. And also feeling like, well, even if I can't keep up with what I'm learning at the moment, I can look at it afterwards and go back and learn. Or, or capture some of it in such a way that that one can learn from it after. And, you know, that could be like remembering, okay, well, if something comes to mind, I can write it in my notepad, in my phone. I don't have to do that thing. It's like um, a piece of information, but I don't necessarily have to act on each one. And then as we can do that and we see, oh, I don't need to act on it. I can just write it down and look at it later. We can bring in realizing that there are certain things that we do want to act on. And then when we do, that's more discerning. We have been more selective. So, um, because when we're out and about in reality and wandering around, a lot can happen and you know we can end up on the other side of the world relatively shortly 
So that is something else is it can be, it can be learned from. And again, I think, I don't know if I even said it, but the whole thing of writing out something 500 pages of our own understanding or our experiences mixed with our understanding at the time and our understanding now and how it relates to this or that, um, 500 pages versus the te- of our own understanding making sense for ourselves of our experience versus 10 pages of the memes of the system. And now that I call um, crowding out, crowding out. So, you know, that's like um, how 50 times the information, right? So then in a, in a, in a way, there's going to be a 50 to 1 ratio of information on that particular topic. And the 50 side is what I've built as understanding for myself. And when that happens, it's like, well, I understand. And if I don't understand something, I can understand it. If I don't understand it in the moment, I can build my understanding of it. I can, And then through that is um, less fear of what will happen. And the thing, too, is when we go through this stuff, if I had a really scary experience where I felt like I wasn't going to make it through, and then the next time that happens again, and then it happens again, now all of a sudden, I don't have to be afraid of that happening because it's highly likely that I'm going to get through it, even though it might be scary at the moment. So then that re- that um, reduces the likelihood of a, a spiral, a spiral of fear. And um, here, that way, we've created this large um, context of understanding. So it's okay to start with that 10 page document. Um, and then if we had experiences the first time that before we were ever diagnosed or something, we look at that content, we can go and start to build in the context um, of our own understanding, how we saw it in the first person and compare notes with what we're told of, you know, this is what it is. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that being told that. I don't think. I think it's like a starting point. It's like I see it like, okay, after the first time I had like mania and psychosis, I was diagnosed and they told me, you know, about, oh, it's lifelong, it's this. And I thought like, okay, I don't know how that it can explain my couple months of very, very, very spiritual experiences and some terrifying and awful too but I wasn't going to just accept that yet at the same time I didn't really go into exploring my experiences and making sense of them in like a written out way for a few years like three and a half years at least because um, I needed a break like I needed a rest I wasn't ready to look at it again but I didn't completely forget about that stuff. I had written out 700 pages, so I wasn't going to forget. I still had those pages. And that's when I came across a book, The Spiritual Gift of Madness. And I was like, oh, wow, there's a whole book. And it's like completely what I felt. Like this resonates more with my experience than what I've been told. 
and at the same time, um, I don't, I don't think it's fully helpful just to completely resist the mainstream. I think it's a helpful, helpful part. And what I realized is if I'm going to see my experiences as meaningful, that's up to me. It's actually not up to, um, the mainstream paradigm, the mainstream paradigm it just kind of says it's this meaningless thing that was all meaningless illusions, hallucinations, delusions, meaning it's just an illness. So, you know, in a way there I see now or I've seen recently, more recently, that they did me a favor because they didn't try to tell me, they didn't try to serve it up on a silver platter what some of these things could mean. And how could they know they didn't go through it? You know, they didn't experience those things. So, you know, I can say, okay, well, thanks for, you know, helping me with this aspect. And the part is like connecting and being in society that doesn't make sense according to new experiences that have given me new information that's updated my mental models. So, you know, it's like trying to get rid of those new mental models. Um, and, and that's partly good because, you know, there are different aspects of living and all need to be acknowledged. We can't, um, you know, quote, do a spiritual bypass. And it's interesting for me in my years of exploring it, at first it felt very spiritual. And now I don't even think of the word spiritual. I just, to me, things are meaningful. And I see meaning in very mundane things. I've seen meaning in daily life. Um, I see meaning if I'm in a bit manic or something. So it's all meaningful, not, oh, mania is spiritual and, and regular life is lame or something. Um, and of course, when I say meaningful, um, that's a whole rich, huge spectrum of what have you that has nothing to do with the very carefully crafted emotional states that we are programmed to identify with and um, like over identify with so it's like a, it's like having a whole rich palette of colors versus you know um, just the colors of the rainbow the whatever those numbers are um, and you could say oh angry sad blah 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 no there's a huge rich whatever and so you know once it gets over a certain point we might say well that felt like spiritual but when when we're really decentralized from all that, I think that it there's some subtle meaning communicated versus just an overarching, well, this feels spiritual or something. Like there's a whole palette of colors in that. Um, and I see it more as, as meaningful. So that's why... I feel like it is important to look at some of those things and that the part that I don't I didn't um, agree with when learning about how a diagnosis is dealt with is the whole uh, like don't look at your experiences don't think about them just think about them as illness because if you go into them you're kind of humoring it you're kind of like giving it some kind of truth you're making it worse. 
all these things. And to me, that's not, that isn't true. That hasn't been true for me. Going through the process of looking at different aspects has been extremely helpful. And it's very challenging as well. Now that I think about it, I could kind of like write down bits and pieces, but it was very hard to sort through it and put it into a somewhat linear and somewhat pseudo-logical way. And I think that we can have access to like the regular consciousness as well as whatever consciousness we connect with in these altered states. And, you know, a lot of it is disidentifying from one's own like self-identity. And that's part of why we can experience so much more. Or things that don't feel like they're from ourselves is because we're not as, as um, solidly identified with our own position. And I don't know if we, you know, the whole non-volitional aspect of it, it's sort of like being called for a certain role to feel more, to, to traverse these boundaries that we or ordinarily um, feel are there, but aren't really. Um, so then when that happens, are we, are we sensing more of the, of reality or are we sensing illusion? I, I think we're sensing more. I feel like it's a lot of chaos because those areas have been left gray through like a few hundred years of society. And so it's hard to tell what's what, and it's hard to communicate with it. It's hard to communicate as that. Um, but what can happen too is having sort of a fluid identity in that one can realize, oh, I'm actually connected with um, a plant right now or the sun or that person over there that's why I'm feeling that or um, or just being okay with not really knowing where it's coming from because we realize well we're not this solid encased impermeable thing that nothing can get through like I'm not walking on top of the earth's surface I'm in the whole of the cosmos somewhere, you know, like, and there's no real boundary. There's skin, but that's, you know, what I realized in a way is like me and my skin, that's the only part of me in the universe that is all kind of mine in quotes. And then everything else we share, right? And we, we talk like we own this or that, but we share everything except we, you know, we kind of, sort of own our body if you want to think of that and then why aren't we communicating like we share everything and then respecting the part like the body um, autonomy or what have you um, it's kind of going the other way which is a little bit you know it seems like the wrong way to go so I think there's a lot of potential um, of having this type of consciousness and it's about giving oneself permission to explore it and 
the thing is that a lot of things that are happening in mental health and um, again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. They're all important aspects like peer support, advocacy, activism. Um, a lot of that's within the frame of the system or resisting the system or wanting it to change. And I really don't think it's going to change soon enough for most of us that are alive now. And by the time it changes, it's going to be already old, you know, so old. So this process of really understanding one's own experiences and consciousness and gifts of the consciousness and possibilities and figuring those out and understanding them and better we'll be able to do this as well um, and speaking as if we share the whole world except you know our bodies and our bodies are our own um, you know as it is now in, in life it's not really that way but um, I'm just talking with the physical space of what we share and what we don't have to share and um, the more of us that do that it'll crowd out these other things so as we bring our memes our ideas our thoughts into our understanding in our our, our brains and our body and then share them and communicate with each other it'll start to crowd out that it's not you know crowd out the belief that we're these individuals some of us are coming into the awareness of this interconnectivity um, and I think it's important that we we understand that it for ourselves um, because what i see is that the things that if we understood and integrated and worked at and worked at because we've been non-volitionally pushed into this by whatever uh force or the universe or the cosmos or you know solar flares or you know grace or calling or whatever you want to call it a mission um, of some kind uh, to do this work within ourselves and for ourselves and for the world and whatever role it is it's just not even created yet um, it might be created somewhat in other cultures but it hasn't been created in western culture and um, again I think it's up to us to do that because with the paradigm we're given you know the 10 page the hypothetical 10 pages from um, the mental health system, they're not going to help us, you know, like obviously. Theirs just keeps their system going. And their system is maxed out, right? Like it's kind of maxed out. Well, maybe not because now, you know, other, they're doing ways to not max it out. But anyway, um, it's up to us, like I said, like them giving not handing all the meaning on the silver platter, that means, well, it's definitely up to me to see if there is any meaning in it and and see if I can share it. Otherwise, it'll be lost. Uh, it keeps getting lost and it keeps getting oppressed. Um, and so that's why I think it's important to to go into it as opposed to resisting it and saying, these things that, you know, 
maybe it is all those things that get posted on social media, like all these nice um, squares of art and words that say, these are the characteristics, don't stigmatize, you know, all those things. Like that's a certain uh, level of things to do, sure. But that's not going to build understanding of one's own inner workings and transformation. And the thing is, though, like maybe some people who experience these things wouldn't be interested in that. And that's fine. I don't think that everyone has to. But I do feel there are some who might want to, uh, you know, instead of focusing on uh, making it all go into remission, like not coming back. There might be some people who want to remission, change the mission of this energy, of this um, whatever that's coming through. And I, I'm not saying it's for certain. I'm just saying it's a possibility. And we can see what happens from there. And... And yeah, I think I think that's good for today. And again, if there's anything, just reach out. And um, I'm curious what you think about what I have shared today. Talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.